0: Did our
1: Civil War era forefathers have the foresight to conduct so many of their battles in national parks? And didn't all the monuments get in the way of the fighting? We'll ask these questions and some better ones of our guest Don Fons, historian of the Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio.
0: How much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar? Fifteen minutes, a half an hour, maybe more, is the conference room available for next week's meeting. And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpet cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when your office is closed? If any of this sounds familiar, then Schedule Online is the solution for you. For more information, call toll-free, 888-668-3355. That's 888-668-3355. Or visit us online at www.scheduleonline.com. Before we return to our riveting drama, our sponsor insists that we listen to a radio show about television. I'm Jim Benson, host of a different sort, as I direct you toward a galaxy of TV memories guaranteed to leave you spellbound while I present many of the greatest legends in television history on the TV Time Machine, every Wednesday beginning at 4 p.m. right here on World Talk Radio. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show. Call us toll-free in North America 888-514-2100. Everywhere else call
1: 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich at East Carolina University talking today with Donald C. Fond, historian at the Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park, and author of Ewell, a biography of Richard S. Ewell. Don, we were talking a minute ago about Ewell's performance at Gettysburg and the generally held uh, belief that he ought to have pushed forward at the end of the first day and taken Cemetery Hill. Uh, Many people are familiar with the the vignette in which General Trimble uh, supposedly urges him to go forward, asks him for a division, uh, says, well, then give me a brigade. Ewell says, no, give me a good regiment, give me a few hundred men, and I'll push the Yankees off that hill, Trimble says. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Ewell declines, and there goes glimmering the Confederacy's hope for victory. You don't share that view
2: no again it's it makes for good drama a good uh, a good read but it uh it, it really wasn't practical uh again as i explained in our earlier segment uh the hill was very heavily uh defended with artillery and with uh, with infantry uh, keep in mind also that Yule could see what was on the hill but he didn't know what was behind the hill today we know where the union army rest of the union army was but those hills hid where the rest of the army was and if you're Yule you can assume that if you've seen Two Corps, and the Army has uh, seven that the others are not too far away and uh, As far as he knows, if he gets you know, charged up that hill, he may run into uh, a lot more troops than he than he bargains for so there 's the uncertainties that we tend to forget about uh, again there's also um, uh, there was a threat to Ewell 's flank. Um, Ewell had sent one of his brigades uh, under uh, extra Billy Smith out uh, to the east to kind of guard that that segment, that section uh, out there. And Smith uh, had reported that there were uh, a large body of Union troops, cavalry, infantry, artillery, moving around his flank. Now, this is something that again, not knowing where the rest of the Army was, could not ignore. Uh, so he's going to, right in the middle of the battle, go riding out to, uh, to, uh, have to, to, to see for himself what this threat is. Now, as it turns out, there was not really a threat there. Smith was kind of imagining this, but uh, that the, the very fact that, that 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 there might be a threat out there kind of made Yule a little bit more cautious. And again, we discount that today because we know the threat didn't exist. But but he couldn't afford to to discount it at that time. If his if his flank was turned, the Confederate army might be destroyed. Uh, in addition, uh, we have to remember that um, that the Yule got no support. In that attack, when Lee arrived on the battlefield, Yule was driving the enemy, and Lee essentially said, "Take, you know, continue on and take Cemetery Hill if practicable," which is an expression Lee liked to use a lot. uh, At which point, Yule intended to do it, but he sent word back to Lee saying, "Can you provide support for my right flank?" And uh, and the word came back from Lee, "No, I don't have any troops to do that," which wasn't exactly true, since uh, uh, Richard Anderson's division was on the field at that time and had not been engaged at all. But and anyhow, Lee did not want to give Yule any support. So Yule now has to decide, you know, should I attack that hill uh, on my own? And looking at all the factors, he determined that it was too risky, especially since Lee made clear that he didn't want Yule to bring on a general engagement. In other words, take the hill if you can do it easily, but don't get us into a big fight. Well, as Yule looks up sees 40 cannons, sees thousands of guys on the hill, he knows that the only way you're going to take that hill is if you do a general engage- if you get into a general engagement. And Lee has told him not to do that. So Yule comes up with a pretty, actually a pretty clever solution, and that is, over to the left of Cemetery Hill is a another hill called Culp's Hill, and if the Confederates can take that hill, they will uh, maneuver the Union troops out of, off the other hill without a fight, so it will, will accomplish what Lee wants to accomplish without bringing on a general engagement. So Yule starts making preparations to do that. The only problem is that for a variety of reasons, uh, miscommunications and th- other things, uh, he's not able to... To his subordinates, do not try to take that hill until the Federals are able to occupy it, and so the, that uh, that plan goes awry. But it was actually a very good plan, and had uh, it been carried out more effectively, uh, it would have uh, accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish.
1: Now, I, I've heard uh, that Lee had instructed A.P. Hill not to bring on a general engagement at Gettysburg. But by the end of the first day, Hill's been fighting. He's got two divisions heavily engaged. Now, uh, Ewell's got two divisions heavily engaged. Isn't it too late to avoid a general engagement by the evening of July 1st?
2: Well, again, you're right. In fact, when when Ewell makes his attack um, on, on July 1st, uh, right as he's getting ready to make that attack, word comes for, up from Lee saying, uh, don't bring on a general engagement but Ewell at that point sees that it's kind of too late to do that, that the battle's yeah. already been uh, been uh, waged, and and he's got troops that are getting ready to attack him if he doesn't attack them first. So Ewell very rightly uh, disregards that that uh, provision and goes ahead with the battle anyways. But once he drives the Federals back, um, there's kind of a lull, and at that point Lee comes up to the battlefield. Ewell now, knowing that Lee's there, figures, okay, the provision's off. But then Lee... Uh, reiterates it. He says, go ahead and attack them, uh, but again, don't bring on a general engagement. And so once again, Yule's hamstrung. He's supposed to take the hill, but he's not supposed to fight the enemy. (laughs) And uh, it must be very frustrating as a subordinate to get those kind of seemingly contradictory orders. Uh, But they were still in effect.
1: That's very interesting. uh, uh, Let me throw out the idea also that a theory that I've been pushing here and there is the idea that no army, no field army in the Civil War is destroyed on the field of battle uh, other than at Nashville late in the war, mm-hmm. and that as a result, the, the argument you read in so many battle accounts, if only this hill had been taken or this forest had been taken earlier or this sunken road had been abandoned, if only they had succeeded in one attack, they would have destroyed the enemy. Uh, I would argue that the enemy would have fallen back to the next hill and the battle would go on. That had, and applying that to this situation, had you all stormed up Cemetery Hill successfully, it would not have uh, ended the war or even broken the Army of the Potomac. They just would have pulled together and gone back to Pipe Creek and you'd have another battle.
2: Exactly. Uh, you're right. Uh, there's, there's, uh, it's very easy to say uh, if one, Side A had done something, they would have destroyed the opposition, but you're right. There's very few instances of, of uh, in in the Civil War, anyhow, of armies destroying one another. They they damage each other, uh, but oftentimes, exactly. even in if you're the victor, you're so badly damaged that you can't follow up your victory uh, and, and crush the enemy. Exactly. So usually, both sides end up being hurt, and just one side's hurt more than the other.
1: I, I think, and I think that that it takes away from the drama to say if Chamberlain had not held Little Round Top the army would be destroyed uh... if you all had attacked uh... the army would be destroyed uh... but i i share your skepticism i don't see that happening Yeah. now let me ask you uh... we're talking about the the battlefield at gettysburg which is certainly one of the most uh... fascinating battlefields uh... much of it is well preserved uh... preservation has improved there over the years Uh, It is one of the great battlefields and draws uh, over a million visitors every year, I understand. There are many such battlefields, and you work at one of them.
2: Yes, I work at Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania County National Military Park, which actually encompasses four major battlefields of the Civil War, Uh, Fredericksburg, Chancellorsville, the Wilderness, and Spotsylvania Courthouse.
1: Well, my first question is, are you just in hog heaven every day, uh, getting to work at, at a place like that? Well, yeah, as
2: a Civil War, uh, uh, Civil War buff, uh, of course, anybody would have to be thrilled to uh, to be able to work uh, on such hallowed ground. Um, I guess over time you kind of become a little bit uh, uh, immune to that. Uh, you get used to it, but uh, uh, there is something special about uh, walking the ground where such great events occurred.
1: I mean, I bakers get tired of eating cookies, I guess, uh, <laughs> but it, it must be something else to uh, to see that stuff every day. uh, So there's a series of different battlefields or different connected areas here that that you are uh, engaged in in working to interpret and and preserve. Um, Tell us a little bit about them, uh, what what state they're in, what what they encompass.
2: Well, Fredericksburg has the dubious distinction of being the bloodiest uh, area in North America. Again, we have these four major battlefields all taking place in the area of about 20 miles of one another. Um, and, and so um, so the federal government decided when they decided to preserve these battlefields instead of making a separate park out of each one that it would make much more sense administratively to simply uh, combine them all into a single park and so that 's what 's been done and that p- poses some challenges for us because unfortunately um, as uh, the years have gone on and uh, the areas become more populated uh, the areas between the battlefields have grown up, and so it's, uh, in some ways difficult to get between the battlefields now. You have to go through a lot of stoplights. So administratively, it's a little bit more difficult than it used to be. Um, but it's, uh, still a very special area to work in.
1: What's the, what's the best way to visit these battlefields? If you're, if you're, they're, they're not, at Gettysburg, you can see the first stage fighting, then the second, and the third, uh, if you want to follow it chronologically. Here you've got a series of battles separated by months. Right. taking place how, how, if I've got a day to go visit your place, what should i do well the our,
2: if you if you think about our battlefields again you can kind of find all of them chronologically, except instead of doing it by days as you would at Gettysburg, you do it by battle. Fredericksburg is the earliest of the two uh It was fought in December of eighteen sixty two the last battle of that of that year in Virginia here. Uh, and that's followed by the first battle of the following year, which is Chancellorsville. So those two kind of fit together as a nice package. And then Wilderness and Spotsylvania take place uh, after uh, the Battle of Gettysburg. I always tell people our battles kind of are bookends to the Battle of Gettysburg, Fredericksburg and Chancellorsville being before and Wilderness and Spotsylvania being after. Uh, if you're going to tour our battlefield, the first thing I do is leave yourself sufficient time for what you want to do. People come to the park and they think they can see an entire battlefield in an hour. And while you can... I guess physically drive through the battlefield in that amount of time, uh, you really aren't going to get much out of it. I would leave yourself at least uh two hours for each battlefield. Uh, I would do, in fact, you're going to do all the battlefields in our park. I would give yourself two days uh, to do two, two battlefields each day. That gives you time to take a couple tours, see the films, see the exhibits without rushing, and and uh, and and you'll enjoy it a lot more if you do it that way.
1: So, so you have when you, you come have to the park,
2: center? the very first spot you should go is one of our visitor centers. Okay. We have visitor centers at Fredericksburg and at Chancellorsville. And the historians on duty there uh, can get you set up with a tour folder, show you where to tour the battlefields, how to tour them given the time you have. And you can also get a good start there by watching our films and seeing our exhibits.
1: Let me ask you this. Do you have uh, an archive or library at any of these visitor centers?
2: We have uh, we have actually a very good library at the park which we build up over the course of years. Uh, again, uh, it's mostly for in-house use for in-house research. Though of course, if people come to the park and uh, and are interested in using the library, we certainly uh, allow them to do so. We just ask that they make arrangements in advance.
1: I, I recall uh, at, when I was writing on the Western Theater, going to Stones River and Shiloh and the. Uh, park personnel being very generous and letting me look at their files uh, arranged in advance as you say Uh, and if someone is doing serious research I think these are some of the great undiscovered sources uh, uh, in our country the the things that are collected at these battlefields are often unpublished uh, letters, uh, diaries things that that people bring to you that uh, uh, that end up in your files and, and they just don't get used very much
2: yeah, we are very fortunate in having um, uh, a lot of things that people have given us over the years. We'll have people literally coming off the streets who are here from a different part of the country who say, my grandfather, our great-great-grandfather fought here. And uh, over the years, we've been kind of trained our people to say, oh, did you write any letters or give any accounts of the battle? And if they, and if they say yes, then we uh, see if we can't get a copy of that for the park. So in some cases, we have uh, items which you won't find anyplace else. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth it if you're writing a, a book on on something that deals with the campaigns here in central Virginia to uh, to uh, check with us and see if we have anything that might help.
1: Now, you mentioned uh, the areas between the battlefields are growing up, and that's uh, obviously an extremely uh, sensitive topic for anyone interested in the Civil War, the uh, the fight to preserve what's left of these battlefields. Uh, how does that affect your area?
2: Unfortunately, it affects it a great deal. Um, Fredericksburg lies midway between Richmond and Washington, which, of course, is what made it such a battleground to begin with, and that was fine up until uh, the 1970s when I-95 came in, at which point uh, it became very easy for people to live in the Fredericksburg area and commute to either Washington or Richmond, and so since that time, over the last 30, 40 years, uh, this area has been filling up uh, dramatically with uh, thousands and thousands of new residents, and, of course, with the residents comes not only houses, but then shopping centers. And with the shopping centers comes more roads, and with more roads comes more traffic lights. And so what's ultimately resulted, uh, happened is that uh, Fredericksburg is now looks very much like northern Virginia in terms of its congestion as opposed to the rural area that it was back in the 1950s.
1: And the, how, does the Park Service own a great deal of the battlefields to prevent encroachment on them? Or... Is much of it still in private hands?
2: Uh, when the park was first created, uh, Congress uh, had kind of the same notions then as they had now, and that is they thought, okay, well, we'll buy it, uh, uh, as much as we need to to have a have a little park there, but why go out and buy, you know, all this all the land where the battle took place? Because back in those days it was just farmland. They figured, well, you know, why should we buy it? It's it's farmland; it'll always be farmland, and uh, there's really no need to. What they didn't anticipate was the growth that would take place here uh, 50 years later. And uh, as a result, they bought just the core areas of each of these four battlefields. And yet many areas where there was a lot of fighting uh, are, are, and, uh, are still in private hands today and have either been developed or will be developed if they're not preserved.
1: Well, that is something uh, anyone interested in the Civil War ought to take some time to uh, learn about and think about. Uh, what's happening to our battlefields and what can we do to uh, preserve those that ought to be preserved. We'll talk about Civil War battlefields more when we return in a few minutes on Civil War Talk Radio.